Chapter 13 of Vanished Arizona. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Vanished Arizona Recollections of the Army Life of a New England Woman by Martha Summer Hayes. Chapter 13 A New Recruit. In January, our little boy arrived to share our fate and to gladden our hearts as he was the first child born to an officer's family in Camp Apache. There was the greatest excitement. All the sheep ranchers and cattlemen for miles around came to the post. The beneficent canteen with its soldiers and officers' club rooms did not exist then, so they all gathered at the cutler's store to celebrate events with a round of drinks. They wanted to shake hands with and congratulate the new father, after their fashion, upon the advent of the blonde-haired baby. Their great hearts went out to him, and they vied with each other in doing the handsome thing by him, in a manner according to their lights and their ideas of wishing well to a man, a manner sometimes, alas, disastrous in its results to the man. However, by this time, I was getting used to all sides of frontier life. I had no time to be lonely now, for I had no nurse, and the only person who was able to render me service was a laundress of the Fifth Calvary who came for about two hours each day to give the baby his bath and to arrange things about the bed i begged her to stay with me but of course i knew it was impossible so here i was inexperienced and helpless alone in bed with an infant a few days old dr loring our excellent post-surgeon was both kind and skilful but he was in poor health and expecting each day to be ordered to another station my husband was obliged to be at the commissary office all day, issuing rations to troops and scouts, and attending to the duties of his position. But realizing in a measure the utter helplessness of my situation, he sent a soldier up to lead a wire cord through the thick wall at the head of my bed, and out through the small yard into the kitchen. To this they attached a big cowbell. So, by making some considerable effort to reach up and pull this wire, I could summon Bowen that is if bowen happened to be there but bowen always seemed to be out at drill or over at the company quarters and frequently my bell brought no response when he did come however he was just as kind and just as awkward as it was possible for a great big six-foot farmer soldier to be but i grew weaker and weaker with trying to be strong and one day when jack came in and found both the baby and myself crying he said manlike what's the matter i said I must have someone to take care of me, or we shall both die. He seemed to realize that the situation was desperate, and mounted men were sent out immediately in all directions to find a woman. At last a Mexican girl was found in a woodchopper's camp, and was brought to me. She was quite young, and very ignorant and stupid, and spoke nothing but a sort of Mexican lingo, and did not understand a word of English. But I felt that my life was saved and Bowen fixed up a place on the couch for her to sleep, and Jack went over to the unoccupied room on the other side of the cabin and took possession of the absent doctor's bed. I begged Jack to hunt up a Spanish dictionary, and fortunately one was found at the cutler store, which, doubtless, the cutler or his predecessor had brought into the country years before. The girl did not know anything. I do not think she had ever been inside a casa before. She had washed herself in mountain streams, and did not know what basins and sponges were for, so it was of no use to point to the objects I wanted. I propped myself up in bed and studied the dictionary. 
and, having some idea of the pronunciation of Latin languages, I essayed to call for warm water and various other necessary articles needed around a sick bed. Sometimes I succeeded in getting an idea through her impervious brain, but more often she would stand dazed and immovable, and I would let the dictionary drop from my tired hands and fall back upon the pillow in a sweat of exhaustion. Then Bowen would be called in, and, with the help of some perfunctory language and gestures on his part, this silent creature of the mountains would seem to wake up and try to understand. And so I worried through those dreadful days and nights. Ah, we had better not describe them. The poor wild thing slept the sleep of death and could not hear my loudest calls nor desperate shouts. So Jack attached a cord to her pillow, and I would tug and tug at that and pull the pillow from under her head. It was of no avail. She slept peacefully on, and it seemed to me, as I lay there staring at her, that not even Gabriel's trump would ever arouse her. In desperation I would creep out of bed and wait upon myself, then confess to Jack and the doctor the next day. Well, we had to let the creature go, for she was of no use, and the Spanish dictionary was laid aside. I struggled along, fighting against odds. How I ever got well at all is a wonder. When I think of all the sanitary precautions taken nowadays with young mothers and babies, the doctor was ordered away, and another one came. I had no advice or help from anyone. Calomel or quinine are the only medicines I remember taking myself or giving to my child. But to go back a little, the seventh day after the birth of the baby, a delegation of several squaws, wives of chiefs, came to pay me a formal visit. They brought me some finely woven baskets and a beautiful papoose basket or cradle, such as they carry their own babies in. This was made of the lightest wood and covered with the finest skin of fawn, tanned with birch bark by their own hands, embroidered in blue beads. It was their best work. I admired it and tried to express to them my thanks. These squaws took my baby. He was lying beside me on the bed. Then, cooing and chuckling, they looked about the room until they found a small pillow, which they laid into the basket cradle, then put my baby in, drew the flaps together, and laced him into it, then stood it up and laid it down, and laughed again in their gentle manner, and finally soothed him to sleep. I was quite touched by the friendliness of it all. They laid the cradle on the table and departed. Jack went out to bring Major Worth in to see the pretty sight. As the two entered the room, Jack pointed to the papoose basket. Major Worth tiptoed forward and gazed into the cradle. He did not speak for some time. Then, in his inimitable way, and half under his breath, he said slowly, Well, I'll be deed. This was all, but when he turned back towards the bedside and came and shook my hand, his eyes shone with a gentle and tender look. And so was the new recruit introduced to the captain of Company K. And now there must be a bathtub for the baby. The cutler rummaged through his entire place to find something that might do. At last he sent me a freshly scoured tub that looked as if it might, at no very remote date, have contained salt mackerel marked A1. So then every morning at nine o'clock our little half-window was black with the heads of the curious squaws and bucks trying to get a glimpse of the fair baby's bath. A wonderful performance it appeared to them. Once a week this room which was now a nursery combined with bedroom and living room, was overhauled by the stalwart Bowen. The baby was put to sleep and laced securely into the papoose basket. He was then carried into the kitchen, laid on the dresser, 
and I sat by with a book or needlework watching him until Bowen had finished the room. On one of these occasions I noticed a ledger lying upon one of the shelves. I looked into it and imagined my astonishment when I read, Aunt Hepsy's Muffins, Sarah's Indian Pudding, and on another page, Hasty's Lemon Tarts, Aunt Susan's Method of Cooking a Leg of Mutton, and Josie Wells' Press Calf Liver. Here were my own, my very own family recipes, copied into Bowen's ledger, in large, illiterate characters, and on the fly-leaf, Charlie Bowen's receipt book. I burst into a good hearty laugh, almost the first one I had enjoyed since I arrived at Camp Apache. The long-expected promotion to a first lieutenancy came at about this time. Jack was assigned to a company which was stationed at Camp McDowell, but his departure for the new post was delayed until spring should be more advanced, and I should be able to undertake the long rough trip with our young child. The second week in April, my baby just nine weeks old, we began to pack up. I had gained a little in experience, to be sure, but I had lost my health and strength. I knew nothing of the care of a young infant, and depended entirely upon the advice of the post-surgeon, who happened at that time to be a young man, much better versed in the sawing off a soldier's legs than in the treatment of young mothers and babies. The packing was done under difficulties, and with much help from our faithful Bowen, it was arranged for Mrs. Bailey, who was to spend the summer with her parents at Fort Whipple, to make the trip at the same time, as our road to Camp McDowell took us through Fort Whipple. There were provided two ambulances with six mules each, two baggage wagons, an escort of six cavalrymen, fully armed, and a guide. Lieutenant Bailey was to accompany his wife on the trip. I was genuinely sorry to part with Major Worth, but in the excitement and fatigue of breaking up our home, I had little time to think of my feelings. My young child absorbed all my time, alas, for the ignorance of young women, thrust by circumstances into such a situation. I had miscalculated my strength, for I had never known illness in my life, and there was no one to tell me any better. I reckoned upon my superbly healthy nature to bring me through. In fact, I did not think much about it. I simply got ready and went, as soldiers do. I heard them say that we were not to cross the Mogollon Range, but were to go north of it, ford the Colorado Chiquito at Sunset Crossing, and so on to Camp Verde and Whipple Barracks by the Stoneman's Lake Road. It sounded poetic and pretty. Colorado Chiquito, Sunset Crossing, and Stoneman's Lake Road. I thought to myself, they were prettier than any of the names I had heard in Arizona. End of chapter 13 Recording by Dobson Fly, Scottsdale, Arizona.